Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Dr. James Donovan and Dr. Shook Mi Ho. Thanks for joining us. And uh, before we get started, let me tell uh, our listeners about some of the upcoming events and shows. Uh, we'll only talk about one upcoming show on the 22nd. We're going to have a show with Drew Lacaputo. He is one of the owners of a health care agency here in Cincinnati with all the things going on in Obamacare. Um, uh, I'm sure that will be an interesting show on the 22nd here at Sandler. Next week on the 20th of November we have a cold call camp. That's an all-day program. Uh, if you have salespeople or you're a salesperson yourself and you want to learn how to make cold calls work for you, get by the gatekeeper have three scripts, build three scripts for the uh, your prospect, and have at least five ways to get through other people's voicemails so they return your calls. That's a great day. Uh, you can call Carmen here at the office at 753-753-9400. She's on extension 106, and she'll be more than happy to uh, give you a discount if you mention that you heard about the cold call camp here on the show. Uh, in January, starting on January 13th, we have a our next series of Sandler Foundations classes. That's an eight-week program with the foundational courses in, in Sandler training. Okay, let's tell everyone a little bit about uh, you, Dr. Donovan. Uh, Dr. James Donovan uh, is Professor of Surgery and Chief of Euro- the Division of Urology at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. He specializes in urologic oncology, stone disease, sexual dysfunction, pelvic floor disease, and urodynamics. That sounds really exciting (laughs) and difficult to pronounce. Uh, He also performs minimally invasive urological surgery, including robotic surgery. So you guys use that uh, Da Vinci machine? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, how long have you actually had one? Uh, I moved from Oklahoma in 2004, and the robot arrived in April of 2004, and our first surgery was in May of 2004. Okay, so it's nine years. And we've gotten through the first iteration of the Da Vinci robot, and now we have two SI robots at the University Hospital, as well as another robot in the Westchester Hospital. Uh, what's SI? SI is an advanced, uh, the, the original was a little bit cumbersome, so the SI has better console and better controls, better uh, visualization. Okay. Uh, Dr. Donovan received his undergraduate degree from the University of Colorado in Boulder and his medical degree from Northwestern University uh, School of Medicine in Chicago served an internship in residency in general surgery and urology at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago, as well as Evanston Hospital, uh, Children's Memorial Hospital, and uh, the VA Lakeside Hospital. Uh, Dr. Donovan completed advanced training in male infertility at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. You've been all over the country. (laughs) And is a certified general surgery by the American Board of Surgery in and urologic surgery by the American Board of uh, Urology. That's a heck of a good set of credentials. I can ask a funny question. Why did you move to, to, to from uh, 
someplace else to uh, Cincinnati in 2004? Well, actually, I've, I have moved around quite a bit. So I spent 12 years in Chicago, 10 years at the University of Iowa, which was a very pleasant college town. Mm -hmm. Then moved to Oklahoma City, where I joined the University of Oklahoma, which is in actually in Oklahoma City as opposed to the undergraduate campus. And after seven years where we weren't making as much progress as I felt I needed to make mm -hmm. uh, from the standpoint of advancing the minimally invasive laparoscopic surgery, Cincinnati offered a position uh, and had already contracted for the Da Vinci robot. So <clears throat> as part of the uh, contract, I became the director of urology and I asked if I could just come and use the robot, but the answer was no, you, you have to do this other job too. But I came anyway, and so I've been here I think about nine years. So are you happy you came? I'm very happy I came. Good. Cincinnati is one of the best kept secrets in America. We won't tell any, anyone else about it. Uh, let me tell our listeners, uh, Dr. Uh, Shook uh, may whole about you. Uh, you're the director of the Cincinnati Cancer Center uh, for, and, and you started there June of this year, of 2013. Uh, you also serve at the Jacob G. Schmidlap Professor and Chair of the Department of Environmental Health at the University of Cincinnati uh, College of Medicine. Uh, a lot of people might not know exactly what environmental health means. Can you tell us about that? Well, certainly. What we want to look at is how the environmental factors, both ambient, that means in the air, in the water, in the soil, and also your internal environment, like your life uh, style choices, like drinking alcohol, smoking, marijuana, and all kinds of stuff that interacts with your genetical makeup and really give you a either disease or health, and how your disease might pro progress. So that's what we study, environmental health, mm -hmm. including cancer. Now, I understand that you're inter internationally recognized for expertise in the role of hormones and the endocrine uh, dis disruptors on disease development, including uh, tumor genesis in the prostate, ovary, endometrium, and the breast. And uh, maybe we can put that into more layman terms. What does it mean, right? So yeah, re really, what does it mean? Well, basically what it means is that we look at the cancer that actually develops in the prostate gland, mm -hmm. only in the man, and we also look at prostate uh, cancer that develops in female organs, like ovary, in, in the womb, mm -hmm. and also in the breast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that you're uh, currently doing research uh, on disease susceptibility uh, based on epigenics and epidermatological studies addressing uh, environmental exposure. Let me just give you an example. Sure. So most of us think that our disease is based on our genes. So it turns out that something beyond genes is important. So that's what we call epigenetics. That means you're adding like modification to your genes. So how can you add modification to your genes? Because when you're born, you're with the same set of genes. So you add all this modification because we're constantly interacting with our environment. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, identical twins growing up, they have the same genetical materials, mm -hmm. but as they get older, they are different. Their mm -hmm. health are different. They eat different foods. They eat different food, they, eat, they live different lifestyles, and so therefore, the environment is actually interacting with your genetical makeup and changing them in a way that will lead to different outcomes of either wellness or disease, including cancer. Mm -hmm. Have we found any uh, real 
uh, environmental link to cancer? Oh, yes. For example, I think the most critical uh, finding is that not your entire life is susceptible to environmental factors. Um, you have, we all have what we call critical windows. Mm-hmm. For example, in the womb, when we're still growing mm-hmm. as a fetus, um, perinatal around, you know, after birth, mm-hmm. and then around puberty, and towards the time for women is around the time of pregnancy, and for everybody is around aging. So, not that you have to quit drinking and smoking your entire life. You just have to be careful in watching those windows of susceptibility, we call it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm 40 years old, I could drink. That's okay. Keep drinking. Okay. But, <laughs> but when I'm 80 years old, I shouldn't drink as much. Well, you should be careful about other things, so in addition to drinking. so. Okay. Okay. It kind of makes some sense. Um, uh, the doctors have agreed to uh, take calls, so if you have a question, you can call in on 646-595-4916. Uh, let me ask <coughs> Dr. Uh, Donovan uh, one more question before we take our first commercial break. Uh, Dr. Donovan, what is the most prevalent uh, form of uh, cancer that you see in men? So the most common cancer <clears throat> that I see in men is prostate cancer. I'm a urologist, and so basically we deal with kidneys, adrenals, bladder, prostate, and testis. Mm-hmm. But the most common we see is uh, prostate cancer. Is there a, uh, <clears throat> a percentage that, that you could say one out of 100 men is going to get it, or five out of 100 men is going to get it? Well, based upon... The taking uh, just a general male population uh, without considering risk factors, about 16% of men will develop prostate cancer during their lifetime, but most will not die because of prostate cancer. So prostate cancer has a fairly high incidence in the male population, but uh, there are different grades of aggressiveness that we have just begun in the past several years to realize that the most common grade, which is uh, graded on a system called Gleason, uh, Gleason 6 is very non-aggressive and may not require any treatment. So we're leaning more towards managing this with active surveillance as opposed Mm -hmm. to radiation or surgery. Is there an environmental impact, uh, May? Well, so of course it is. So the most important thing is that there are 300,000 cases, roughly, of prostate cancer, newly diagnosed prostate cancer a year. But the mortality rate is only one-tenth. That means 30,000 will die of prostate cancer. So Does that mean in their lifetime, or does that mean in the first year after they're diagnosed? Oh, this will be in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Per year, per year, we should say per year. So, in fact, if you look at one out, in theory, one out of six or seven men will have prostate cancer in their lifetime. But only about one-tenth of them will actually die of the disease. And the majority of them will die with the disease. So, meaning that there are a lot of latent cancer, then there's quiet cancer that never actually progress. So our key. So they're going to die of something else. Right. They're going to get hit by a bus before the cancer. Cardiovascular problem is probably the stroke, major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, approximately six, uh, three, two thirds of the cancer, prostate cancer, will actually be already been diagnosed by age 66. Two thirds. Two-thirds. But be, when a person is under 50, mm-hmm. uh, the chances of being diagnosed with prostate cancer is only 2%. So 99, 98 out of 100 won't get diagnosed because they won't get checked. Well, I would say that, you know, even if they check, only only if they have family histories. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm sure that Don, uh, Jim will talk about family histories and risk factors, like first-degree relatives, if you have one, you can start adding those points up. 
Mm -hmm. And so genetics is an important factor. But you did ask me an uh, environmental question that I will, looking at the time, tell you after the break. Good. We're going to take a, uh, a commercial break here. We're going to hear from uh, Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club meets uh, once a month. I am the sponsor of Tip Club here in Cincinnati. They meet here at our training center, 4357 Ferguson Drive. Jimmy, why don't you uh, tell everyone about Tip Club? Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business -business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business -business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Dr. James Donovan and uh, Dr. Shuk May Ho. Uh, and before we took the break, uh, May, you were about to tell us about environmental factors, I think, and uh, cancer. What are the environmental factors here in the Cincinnati uh, region or Cincinnati area which are different than other places in the country? Okay, so this is really important. Um, Cincinnati actually have two big, biggest highways that converge, 71 and 75. Mm -hmm. So on a daily basis, there's 60,000 trucks coming through. So Cincinnati is actually one of the highly polluted area in terms of air quality, very poor air quality. The other thing is that it's Ohio River is an inland. So we have a lot of issues with the Ohio River, plus in the manufacturing sector, um, many of them are grandfathered. The coal, uh, for example, coal-burning uh, power plants, 10 mm -hmm. of them are actually in the Ohio State, grandfathered, not following the Clean Air Act. The rural areas will actually have lots of pesticides uh, growing uh, plants and crops and things like that. So these are highly polluted uh, situations. So the question is, um, when we get prostate cancer, just as an example, which we get what when when prostate cancer occurs, prostate cancer, yes, which one is going to progress and which one is going to be dominant and quiet? Mm -hmm. This is a complex questions that requires a complex solution. Yes. In order to do that, you really cannot just rely on one person, Jim and I, and do this job. Basically, we need three organizations, UC Health, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, as well as University of Cincinnati. They form an organization together and really put a lot of resources together and a lot of talents together to really solve this question. Is this the Cincinnati Cancer Center? That's correct. Okay, people can look at it online at CincinnatiCancerCenter.org. Right. right, basically www. You don't even have to put www, just Cincinnati Cancer Center uh, org or Cincinnati Cancer Center 
three organizations one goal. Which is? Which is to make Cincinnati reduce the cancer burden for the entire region. So is Cincinnati's cancer burden per, per 100,000 people higher or lower than national average? It's higher. Really? Out, out of the 10 so-called most common cancers, uh, Cincinnati is higher than the national average. And that's why these three very forward-looking organizations want to put their resources together and achieve this job. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Los Angeles, you said uh, you wouldn't want to breathe anything you couldn't see. <laughs> and that was true because we had a lot of uh, pollution in the air uh, at least 25 years ago. Uh, when I came here, you could see through the air, so I said, hey, it must be pollution-free. But also environmental factor, don't forget, is also internal. Ohio is one of the uh, least healthy states. So our 100 health indicators, um, the city of Cincinnati and the greater Cincinnati region, they're not doing as well, including, like, for example, obesity, stroke, diabetes, these are chronic complex diseases, cardiovascular problems. All of these are going to be adding to the risk of cancer as well as this progression. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this was this place was known as Porkopolis, right? Because they grew a lot of pigs here and slaughtered a lot of uh, meat. Right. Uh, and in in other cities. Uh, I just picked again on Los Angeles. The value of being thin was important, and mm -hmm. I did notice that there, there was a, a, a heavier set population here that didn't seem to exist as much in L.A. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, pollution factors like uh, pesticide runoff into the Ohio River. Uh, I thought here in Cincinnati we had the, one of the best waterworks in the country, clean up the Ohio River water that we all drink and eat and cook with. That's true, because that's exactly one of the public health um, impacts that we, because of the research, we know that environmental factor affects it. So now you impact the policymakers and make sure the water is clean. So on the Cincinnati side, the water is actually relatively better. Uh, mm -hmm. the Northern Kentucky, but now Northern Kentucky is improving also with the activated charcoal system is improving. So we monitor a lot of this and then we know that the, both sides of the uh, rivers are actually improving on the water quality. But the air quality is not necessarily uh, improving because you can see that uh, the economy is coming back, right? So mm -hmm. Uh, on the average, there are approximately 60,000 trucks and cars count going through that intersection between um, 75 and 71 across the, the river. So it sounds like if it was up to you, you would new, move the new Brent Spent Bridge <laughs> out to Lawrenceburg. Possibly, yes. But uh, a bit there's more than that. So one of the major factors would be lack of exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really important thing, and also indoor air quality. Um, staying indoor, the lights, the off gas coming from walls, furnitures, all kinds of things, and fire retardants. I'm, I'm not trying to scare you because this is not the purpose of the. We want to tell and you, you can't how. You can't even open the windows here in the office. Right. Well, the new office is uh, really the only solution for new houses is to conserve energy. So they're not thinking about like fresh air coming in and out. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I want to emphasize is that we really are focusing on new technology and new methodologies and new approaches to really tackle cancers, both uh, preventing them or diagnosing diagnosis as well as once you diagnose to have the cancer, how do you manage and treat them? So this is the important part. Does uh, the Cincinnati Cancer Center uh, have national designation? It hasn't yet. That's it has the not goal. yet. The goal is to reach that National Cancer Institute definition, which is almost like a gold standard. There are about 6,000 cancer centers 
in the country, mm -hmm. only 67 of them were sh NCI destination. Only 67 out of 6,000. Right. And we do not have one of those 67 here in right. the Cincinnati market. And I, I think this, the, great, the, the residents in Cincinnati actually deserve that. Mm -hmm. What are the benefits that uh, being designated uh, as a national uh, center uh, would be if I we were game number 68? Okay, I can tell you that easily. There probably is at least three. First, uh, patients who are coming to an NCI-designated cancer center mm -hmm. have approximately 25% better survival rate mm -hmm. than a regular center because it's supported by very innovative research and very you know state-of-the-art equipment. Second, it's the economy of the region. Now. For example, uh, Tampa, the Moffitt Cancer Center is designated, Comprehensive Cancer Center. They did a calculation. For every single dollar they spent in the cancer center, they brought into the re region $1.9 of economy. So you will bring in biotech, new kind of industry, telecommunication, tele marketing and all kinds of uh, new economy coming in. So this is really important to attract talents and keeping our students, our new generations, creating jobs. So I think that's the second benefit. Mm -hmm. The third benefit, I think it really comes down to the fact that patients no longer have to travel. Mm -hmm. So someone who's diagnosed with cancer wants the best cancer care in, in the country the, in the that region. money can buy, uh, where would they go in America today? Um, I, I would say UCLA or uh, second opinion would be Sloan. I would say they would go to um, Sloan Kettering in New mm -hmm. York. They would go to MD Anderson right um, in Houston. They probably yeah, UCLA is a good good place. Is there about ten of those places that a lot of people would like to go? Mayo Clinic. Uh, now see in Ohio. The closest is OSU, and the closest will be Case Western Reserve. That's and two and four hours away yeah. from Cincinnati. Right, that's correct. And a lot of people won't want to travel that far. Yeah, it's way too far mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Good. Again, if, if anyone in the audience has questions uh, for us, the phone number is 646-595-4916. And... Uh, Dr. Donovan, uh, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of you, uh, website or uh, email, uh, after the show is over? Um, my <coughs> my administrator, I haven't been talking, so I'm <coughs> clearing the throat. My administrator's uh, phone number is 513-558-0983. My email is jf.donovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, at uc.edu, and our website is through UC Health. Good. So that website will be ucehealth.com? Yes, sir. Good. And May, yeah. how do people get a hold of you at uh, Cincinnati Cancer Center? Uh, they would just go right into Cincinnati Cancer Center on the web. Dot org. Dot org. And you don't even have to type in dot off. So in at the home, you will see that contact information. Okay, so they can click right on you. Exactly. Good. We're going to uh, take a commercial break here. Again, if you have any questions for the doctors, you can call in on 646-595-4916. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523.
Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Dr. Shuk May Ho and Dr. James Donovan. Uh, Jim, why don't you uh, explain uh, for our audience members what uh, National Cancer Institute designation would mean for our patients here in Cincinnati? Well, I think the important thing to understand is the the NCI designation kind of bundles or, or is is given only to institutions which are comprehensive from the standpoint of how they're going to deal with patients, meaning that the different uh, specialties that are involved in caring for cancer are all working together. They're lined up, not each one for his or herself, but all for the best treatment that we can provide to the patient. So whether it's radiation therapy or chemotherapy or surgery, that all those aspects of treatment are available. In addition, the diagnostic uh, part of, of cancer, including radiology and other imaging techniques, as well as new testing, for, for instance, for prostate cancer to be better than the current uh, PSA blood test, which has been under some scrutiny for its kind of uh, false positives, false, false negatives. Right. Um, but also, right alongside or, or in the in the same in the same uh, institution is the translational research, or the basic research, which is what leads us to better treatments when we're taken to the to the clinical side, whether that's the Department of Biological Medicine and. Uh, or the Department of Environmental Medicine. So we have a lot of people in the university doing research along those lines, and clinical trials are an important aspect of advancing the treatments into the future for patients who are going to be uh, tested uh, using medic new medications as they come online and de determining what the best approach is going into the you know, into the future for whether it's pancreatic cancer or prostate cancer. So if we were a designated cancer uh, center here in Cincinnati by NCI, would we get more uh, clinical studies? I think it's partly that we have to build up the studies, the basic science, the clinical trials, and that's what provides us that designation, and so that's what we're working toward. Well, in fact, I want to add, this is a process. That means we have to kind of add capacity, add new innovation in until we reach this so-called gold standard that the National Cancer Institute will award us that particular standard. So in a way, the process itself is a journey to reach that level mm -hmm. of comprehensiveness. And basically, to an average person, it, we are talking about not statistics. We're talking about um, 
personalized, customized treatment for the patient. So you're going to customize the cancer treatment Correct. to the individual patient's right. um, DNA? We can look at DNA, we can look at their life history, and which you can call environmental factor, but it's their life history, exposure. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why the children's hospital and the adult hospital, UC in health, UC itself, is important because today's childhood uh, cancer is tomorrow's survival patients, and they may have be, they may face another hurdle down the road. Mm -hmm. So this is a very comprehensive way of looking at things. That from the innovation part all the way down to practice and also from birth all the way up to old age, and from a big population-wise kind of study down to an individualized uh, approach of tackling cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us an example uh, of a, what another city did to get their cancer center uh, designated by NCI? I can. Um, to the second to the last NCI designated cancer center is uh, University of Kansas. So University of Kansas actually had $350 million put into it in order to get NCI designation in about seven years. Mm -hmm. And they have government contribution mm -hmm. and they have private contribution as well as university contributions. So it took them about seven years. Now a while ago, like maybe 10 years ago. $350 million is a lot of money here in Cincinnati. Right, but you don't have to think about that way. Money is not necessarily the only thing that counts, okay? Mm -hmm. So UC Davis, they had only about initially an $8 million investment 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. But with a lot of innovation, a lot of collaboration, and talking in one single voice and having one single objective, they got there in 12 years. So it is not just about money. It's willpower. Is that you know people are working together. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how long ago did uh, the three institutions, University of Cincinnati, uh, Children's Hospital, and UC Health? get together and form the uh, Cincinnati Cancer Center? Well, I think they have been working kind of uh, less formally for a few years, but only very recently they decided that this is going to be a major effort from all the our so-called top administrations, right, decided this is an important priority. Mm -hmm. and for the, uh, the citizens of Cincinnati, will this mean uh, better outcomes for people who are diagnosed with cancer? Yes, I think it's going to be better outcomes and more thoughtful management with the, the inclusion of the physicians and researchers and caretakers in evaluating the patients one at a time and determining what the best approach is for that particular person. This is kind of the transition with prostate cancer for not necessarily treating everybody with a non-aggressive prostate cancer, but looking at what is going to be best for the patient, uh, avoiding unnecessary uh, side effects of surgery mm -hmm. or radiation without losing the opportunity to, to treat those men with prostate cancer whose cancer is aggressive or becomes recognized as aggressive. Uh, and so we, we are working with the Department of Radiology and Dr. Sadna Burma in a project with MRI of the prostate to allow us to better target the biopsies when we think they're necessary and also to... So you're going to move the biopsies out of what I'm going to call random guess as to where the cancer cells are to something with where you actually can see the sample that you're going to take out? Yes. Oh, that's a, that's a big improvement. Uh, well, I think so too, but, <laughs> but it's nothing without the technology 
of the MRI, but most importantly, the uh, woman who is in charge of interpreting the MRI, who has worked at this steadily for the past seven years. And now we're in the process of installing a, a fusion imaging system so that we can take the MRI image. Fusion imaging is a new word. We're combining the MRI that was done a week ago yes. and putting it and synchronizing it with the ultrasound so that we can actually visualize the target that she has designated as suspicious and eliminate, to, for the most part, the randomness of just biopsying a part of the prostate without having any anything to aim at. So, so, so instead of going buckshot, <laughs> you're, you're now going to go laser-guided uh, sighting of where you want to take samples. It's not laser, but it's close. I mean, like, like a laser-guided rifle sight, you know, with the red dot. You know where the bullet's going to go. You, you have a, a pretty good shot. Uh, it sounds like with this new technology, you'll be able to uh, biopsy tissue uh, from the most suspicious sites. And that's, and that's the key, that uh, as, as Dr. Verma would say, this prostate gland is the only organ or the last organ to be biopsied without any imaging information, such as liver, pancreas, uh, breast. People wouldn't randomly biopsy those organs we are trying to get away from that randomness mm -hmm. uh, with the prostate. Okay. And how long has this been going on that you have this capability, fusion, as you call it? Well, the fusion we've developed after uh, trying several systems. We've settled on what we believe to be the best system from the standpoint of this synchronization uh, over the past year and a half. and. Mm -hmm are moving it from the hospital to the Barrett Cancer Center so that it can be done as an outpatient. Oh, that's great. And uh, how many cases have you actually been able to use the fusion on? In the last About three and a half? 110. 110. And the outcomes have been? Good. And in some cases, uh, we've identified cancer that doesn't require treatment. In mm -hmm. some cases, we've verified that there is no cancer. and stop the endless cycle for some men of repeat biopsies on an almost annual basis, wondering if there's any closure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so it sounds like you're giving people peace of mind. I think, yes, <clears throat> I think it is peace of mind. I mean, unfortunately, I, I, I don't enjoy calling people and saying that, yes, we did identify cancer, but we're going to take care of it, of course. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather be telling them that all these biopsies were negative and that we would not be planning on doing that again, although they'll still continue to follow up uh, in the future and determine if anything's changing on physical exam. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, when you look at uh, prostate cancer in particular, uh, they, are there particular environmental factors that you feel are probably the cause more than uh, heredity or genes? Well, see, um, I think, for example, like um, has been identified would be like um, smoking. Um, probably we'll, we also identify some new um, chemicals from the plastic that is important. Uh, things from like charcoal boiled food, that's important. Um, but all these are uh, Environmental factors going to probably promoting the cancer progression and make it more aggressive. But I think the most important thing to, not to forget is that we now have the capacity at the Cincinnati Cancer Center to look at fingerprinting. That means we look at massive amount of like information coming from the genetics and the epigenetics of that biopsy and being able to tell them apart of whether this biopsy, the patient will progress or not. And so combining with Jim's work and Dr. Verma's work, you almost get a perfect fit. Like, you see, because prostate cancer sometimes it takes three years or five years or 10 years to actually see what happened. Mm -hmm. But if at the biopsy, you can, we can tell 
whether this is like 90% or 80% progress or 10% going to progress. That will give people a peace of mind too. So mm -hmm. they can make choices. Do they want surgery or do they, do they want to wait? So we now have all this very high-tech genomic and epigenomic sequencing that is parallel sequencing, looking at millions of, um, of thousands, I would say, like 20,000 genes in one cell and being able to figure that out. And we can also see in the blood. I mean, are they actually in the blood? That are there other cells that are able to escape the primary site got into the blood? So from the blood, we can pick them up. So these are very powerful technologies that is beyond like environmental impact. Okay, we're going to take a, a commercial break here, uh, and we're going to be listening to Sam Rule number 19. Again, if you have any questions for the doctors, you can call in on 646-595-4916. Sam Rule number 19. Hi, I'm George Donovan with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about rule number 19, never help the prospect end the interview. We've all been on sales calls where it's been uncomfortable and the prospect's acting uninterested or maybe even a little bit hostile. Your inclination is to close your portfolio, get up and walk out, but don't. This rule calls for you to hang in there. Ask the question that gets the issue on the table. Chances are it's not you. Maybe it's your company's past performance that's the problem, or perhaps another company that sells similar products or services. Or maybe it's another salesperson that has nothing to do with you or your company, but you'll never know unless you ask. So it sounds something like this. Let's suppose your prospect's name was Bill. You'd say, Bill, you seem a little bit skeptical. Is there something that I've said or done that's made you feel this way? And if it is, could we talk about it? Or maybe you say, Bill, I sense that there's a problem. Would it be okay if we talked about that for a minute? So the important part is that you ask. It takes the pressure off of you, and it helps the prospect work through the issue so you can get by it and get back to the interview. So the next time you're in an uncomfortable sales call, don't bail. Hang in there and remember rule number 19. Never help the prospect end the interview. institutions and systems here in Cincinnati beyond the University Hospital and Children's Hospital. We have uh, Mercy System, Christ, uh, seems like the guys in Northern Kentucky hooked up with uh, Mayo Clinic and uh, how would a uh, national uh, Cancer Institute designation uh, help the people in Cincinnati uh, get better treatment? Okay, so this is a very tough question, but I'm going to try to answer it because your question is to complex problem, complex solution. Correct. So we have these multiple health systems, mm -hmm. uh, which, as a an outsider and novice, I say, well. Some of it's for geography reasons, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, but, you know, the standard of care should be the same whether I'm in Erlanger, Kentucky, Westchester, or downtown Cincinnati. Well, in, in How do we bring all this together? Well, this is why it is very important to bring all the people together. And once we have the NCI designation, in fact, we are leveraging on a couple of things. For example, the federal government will give a grant to support this effort over a five-year period. Really? Yes. So, so you can leverage on that 
and make a lot of enhancements that you might want to get a new machines or new new procedures. Uh, at the same time, some of these grants will also bring people together. You can bring all these clinicians, scientists, nurses, practitioners, and even patients together. So that's a, a leverage. And the other thing is that because you belong to this so-called, quote, country club of 67, you actually got information and collaborative trials that you may or may not be able to do when you're on your own. Because oftentimes, I'm sure Jim will tell you, that many of the clinical trials requires a lot of numbers of patients, and it can only be achieved through national or international cooperative efforts. So being able to reach that level affords patients new treatment protocols that may or may not be available when we are working by ourselves. So if there was a, a skin cancer trial being done in Las Vegas mm -hmm. at, a, at a, a center, uh, and they needed more patients that met a certain criteria, you're saying that now here in Cincinnati we would not know about that trial. I, I would not say that because in, in Cincinnati, basically, many of our clinicians are working on cooperative trials. Mm -hmm. But once you are in the so-called NCI-designated cancer center, you actually elevated your opportunities to participate in multiple levels, higher levels of collaborations, and you may be able to lead more in terms of like writing the protocols and become the coordinating centers. And so in that way, the whole cancer care standard is being elevated and the innovation is being elevated. So Jim can add to that. Jim. So uh, you mentioned that uh, many hospitals around Cincinnati and around the country uh, maintain a standard of care, but what we're looking at is developing the new standard of care with the research from basic research translated into clinical application as well as the multi-center and multidisciplinary collaborative efforts through this network from around the country uh, to create tomorrow's standard of care. Of course, UC Health has today's standard of care also, but we don't necessarily accept the status quo as being our goal. So we want to raise the bar. We want to raise the bar and, you know, hit a home run as far as getting things right for people who are suffering cancer and aren't necessarily responding to today's treatments. Mm -hmm. And today's protocols, which may have been written 10 years ago. Yes, right. Okay. And uh, how would a, a patient become aware of a new protocol or, or a new trial? Would they contact uh, the cancer center, uh, Dr. Hall? Well, actually, on the UC Health as well as the UC Cancer Institute as well as the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, they all have, if you type in just clinical trials, mm -hmm. you can see that they're on the web. So they, they, they can actually sign up. They can. We are encouraging people to, to look for those and, and try to understand it. Not all patients are suitable for clinical trials and not all the families will be supportive, but it is important for the patients to be aware of those, and those are right on the website. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about uh, leading, maybe bleeding edge uh, treatment prognosis and, and, uh, and care, uh, the people in, in trials actually have a higher survival rate statistically? I think that I'm, I'm not qualified to really answer that question because I think clinical trials frequently start with, uh, in the phase two trials, these are the exploratory phases as far as determining dose and toxicity as well as response rates for different cancers. 
And then in phase three, when the dosing has been established, the uh, follow-up is aftermarket, basically to determine what uh, wasn't discovered during those initial trials. You know the FDA has a difficult job. People want the new medications for different types of cancer to be released immediately. No, yesterday. <laughs> well, I'm corrected, uh, <laughs> yesterday. And on the other hand, they're responsible for the safety issues regarding those medications, mm -hmm. which we can watch almost any channel on TV at about 9 o'clock at night when the lawyers are advertising uh, to for patients that may have gotten bladder cancer due to some medication for diabetes. So it's, it's a difficult job that the FDA has to do, uh, but part of the process is to clear up this with the clinical trials, and I think that ultimately it leads to better care and more successful uh, response in cancers. Let me ask a question about clinical trials. Is there, I, I've heard cancer def defined in stages, stage one, two, three, four. Uh, is there a particular stage that these trials would be looking for patients in? These are usually stage four where other treatments have not succeeded. In some cases, stage four cancers is how the patient is first diagnosed, and so in, in those cases, that's unfortunate. Um, and usually there's a progression from the standpoint of the established treatments being used for metastatic or cancer that is spread, and then uh, invoking clinical trials. There's many trials going on in, in uh, gynecologic cancers, urologic cancers, long liver, it, you know, uh, head and neck cancers that are available at UC uh, through those respective departments and all of those studies are, for the most part, networking with other institutions around the country. Uh, when they do these trials, uh, do some of the patients actually get placebos or does everyone get the real new med? If there is a placebo, that is double blind, meaning the physician nor the patient know whether they're getting the actual trial medication or something that just looks like it. Usually those are in addition to other established medications. In other words, they're, they're getting some treatment that has been used in the past with the addition of a second agent. In any case, the patients are always informed exactly how this trial works. Mm -hmm. they're carefully screened so that there will be no question about the outcome from the standpoint of their response, meaning that some people are excluded if they've been treated with other forms of treatment in the past, mm -hmm. or in our case, uh, have been using hormone therapy, uh, they have to be washed out for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the patients are completely informed. That's very carefully done. So some are double-blind with placebos and some aren't. Correct. Okay, so it's a, it's a complex problem. Uh, and, and the cancer, uh, Cincinnati Cancer Center designation would mean that we could have more trials going on simultaneously here in Cincinnati and originating some? That's correct. And also, overall, it will elevate the entire nation's cancer care. Well, that's great. I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Donovan and Dr. Holt, for being on the show today. I uh, appreciate you being on the show. I'm going to be giving you a copy of uh, one of our Sandler books, a free training pass, a million-dollar bill that we always give to our guests. And, uh, Scott, I'm going to ask you to take it away. Thanks again for being a guest on the show. Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.